ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. It is July 5th, which is a federal holiday, and as you all know, Will Brinson barely works regular days of the week, so you know he's not working on a federal holiday. That is why you are getting me, John Breach, in the host chair today, and we have a fantastic episode because we have longtime NFL punter Lee Johnson, who also happens to be Tom Brady's oldest ex-teammate. Now, before we get to Lee... Uh, make sure to check your podcast feed right now because we got a bunch of things in there before Brinson dipped out on vacation, uh, recorded a bunch of great interviews where we are going through our top 10 positional rankings. You want the top 10 kickers? Go find them. Top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 corners. It is all there. So check out your feed. And while you're doing that, head over to YouTube, find the pick six podcast page. Give us a thumbs up. You can watch Lee doing this interview from his bed in Greece. Uh, definitely <laughs> worth watching. So check us out on YouTube. All right. As for today's show, uh, this is the dead part of the off season. It is early July. You know, when you're in the off season, you're looking for interesting angles to cover. And so I thought to myself, who is Tom Brady's oldest teammate? Brady's going to be 44. He might have an ex teammate who's almost 60. And as it turns out, he does have an ex-teammate who is almost 60. And that ex-teammate is Lee Johnson, uh, who actually turned 60 this year. Uh, Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, coming on. How are things going for you right now? John, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. I can't believe I'm doing an interview with a guy that I changed. I, I got changed your diaper a few times when I was playing with your pop. So this is pretty freaky. But things are really good here in Greece. Yeah, that is, uh, first of all, Lee is in Greece uh, doing this interview. That adds one twist. The second twist is what Lee just mentioned. Uh, when I was looking for Tom Brady's oldest ex-teammate, I had no idea it was going to be Lee Johnson. When I saw that it was Lee Johnson, I said, oh, my God, this is this was my crazy uncle. Uh, he played five years with my dad. It was the final five season of my dad's career. So I was pretty young when Lee was around, but definitely have plenty of memories of him uh, teasing us and, and pushing us around the locker room in dirty laundry baskets. I still smell like jockstrap Lee. <laughs> oh my gosh. What great memories. What a great pops you have. I miss playing with him. He was a, an amazing kicker, even a better guy. So, wow, this is really cool. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And, and, you know, you were an amazing punter. Let's go through. Look, you spent 18 years in the NFL. You played with six different teams. You played for 10 different teams head coaches, and that includes Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Andy Reid, guys who are coaching today. Uh, yeah. You played in three conference title games. You played in a Super Bowl. You held the Super Bowl record for longest punt for 30 years. You have the seventh most, most punt yards in NFL history, and you're the reason why Tom Brady wears number 12, which we'll talk about later. Uh, so, you know, you've got a lot going on for you. Lee, let me start. Uh, you're from Texas, right? From Texas, yep. Dallas, and then moved to Houston. Did you grow up as a Oilers or a Cowboys fan? Cowboys all the way. Love the Cowboys. Grew up listening to uh, all the Cowboy guys on the radio with my pops and my brother. And then obviously when I moved to Houston back in my sophomore year in high school, things just kind of fell apart. I, I hated leaving Dallas, but that's where I started my football career was in Houston. So I got to give it some credit for, for kicking me off anyway. So, yeah, you just mentioned you get drafted. Punters don't get drafted often. You got drafted in the fifth round by the Oilers was that a you know were you hoping say the Cowboys would draft you or is one of those situations where you're thinking I'm a punter I'll just I'm gonna go wherever I'm sent exactly it was a crazy year actually that year there was I think it was 13 rounds back then and there were three punters chosen in the top five rounds I was being the third there were two other guys drafted ahead of me 
And I was also drafted by, if you remember, the USFL, United States football. The guys drafted by the Houston Gamblers. And I uh, decided not to go to Houston Gamblers. And then, sure enough, the Oilers drafted me in the fifth round. Fifth, I was the second fifth in the fifth round for the Oilers. So it was, uh, it was incredible because my folks lived in the woodlands just north of Houston. And everything just worked out great. Did you consider it all playing for the Gamblers? <laughs> I did. I did. And then uh, Steve Young, my buddy, was my roommate in college, went to the Express. And he was in his second year, I believe. And I realized at that time that things didn't look great in the USFL. I wasn't sure how long the league would stick around. So I made the, uh, made the call to forego the USFL and hop in the NFL draft. And it worked out phenomenally. And that is not a random Steve Young. That is Pro Football Hall of Famer Steve Young. Lee That's and Steve both went to BYU. <laughs> Lee, you won a national title at BYU in 1984. I can't believe I didn't even mention that. I know. Unbelievable. That was 84 year. That was the year that uh, Brian Gumble called us Bo Diddley Tech as Oklahoma. <laughs> I think Bo, Bo uh, who was the head coach for the Sooners back then, helped me. Oh, my gosh. Very. Well, Switzer? Switzer's Switzer still there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was so ticked that we won the national championship. They didn't like us winning the national championship. We didn't have the schedule. Nowadays, things are so different. But back then, we were undefeated. We had a nice schedule, but certainly not the schedule that they, you know, it wouldn't rate us very high with the schedule we had back then. But, we, hey, we won it. Can't take it away from us. Now, so you're in Houston. I, I know that your first coach ended up getting fired, I guess. Jerry Glanville takes over. And you were in Houston during the craziest rivalry time, probably in NFL history, that AFC Central with the Oilers, the Browns, the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Steelers were the worst team for most of the 80s, which is kind of the crazy part there. Now, you played for three of the four teams over a three-year period with the Oilers, the Browns, the Bengals. You had Marty Schottenheimer, Jerry Glanville, Sam Weiss. You had a front row seat to that rivalry. What was it like playing in the AFC Central back then? I love the AFC Central. Of course, Hugh Campbell kicked it off when I was there from the Canadian Football League, and then he was quickly replaced by Jerry Glanville, who was an absolute crazy man. The guy was <laughs> totally hilarious. He thought he was uh, – help me with the guy he thought he was. Always wore black. Oh, my gosh. Johnny Cash. That's right. And he was as crazy – he was that crazy, you guys, that Jerry Glanville was a treat to play for. And then, of course, you roll on into Marty Schottenheimer and the Browns, and they were fantastic. We went to the AFC Championship game that year that I was there for a short time. And when we played the Broncos, and Ernest Miner fumbled right on the goal line for us to go to victory. And then uh, I move on to the mighty Bengals and Sam Weish and, of course, Dave Shula. Oh, my gosh, who else? Coslett. Bruce Coslett. Bruce Coslett. But uh, Sam, what a treat Sam was. He passed away, didn't he, just recently? He did. He did. Yeah, I really liked Sam. He was a pioneer. He was a lot of fun. Now, uh, you know, you mentioned that Ernest Biner game. That's one of the – I mean, that's still the fumble. It's it's a, one of the most famous uh, losses in uh, AFC title game history. She had the Browns in 86 losing on the drive, then 87, the fumble. You were there such a short time. Was this one of those – were you like, man, I'm going to get to the AFC title game every year? Or was this one of the heartbreaking uh, – wow, this is this sucks? Well, it does suck, as you know. Not many guys get to play in the AFC Championship game, and very few, even less, much less, get to play in the Super Bowl. And then, of course, we go on to have that uh, awful 90s at the Bengals, so you realize how just how hard it is, and it continues today with Cincinnati. I know they've been to they've been to a playoff. Help me with this. They've been since I left in 2000. Have they been to what one playoff game? They they have they've been seven times, but they have not won any. Yeah! Wow! Unbelievable. 
Man, what a team. I love the Bengals. What a cool <laughs> team. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. Playing in the playoffs, it's a whole different level. And then you get to the championship game, and that game especially against the Broncos. And, wow, just going back in time, it's, it was really fun. But, man, I felt just terrible for the team when Ernest uh, had that fumble. Great memories. Uh, thanks for bringing them up. Way to ruin my trip. <laughs> well, you got to get over that pretty quickly because that was the 1987 AFC title game. Boom, 1988. You're back in the AFC title game because you signed with the Bengals. You guys win it. You're headed to the Super Bowl. And Super Bowl 23, unfortunately, I, it feels like we're only going to talk about horrible losses for you. We're going from the Ernest Biner fumble to, <laughs> to Joe Montana to John Taylor uh, game-winning touchdown. But before that happened, during Super Bowl 23, you set – the Super Bowl record for longest punt. And that record stood for 30 years until uh, Johnny Hecker broke it in Super Bowl 53 against the Patriots. So let me just ask you, what do you remember? It was a 63-yard punt. I think John Taylor had a crazy return. What do you remember about that play and about that game? Well, that game was, uh, first off, I remember Donald Trump and Chrissy Brinkley in pregame warm-ups, and I remember Chrissy <laughs> talking about me. Anyway, we won't go there. But, no, it was um, – it was a super windy game, and the punt was actually, I hit the ball really well, but you know it rolled. So I wish I could say I hit the 63-yarder in the air, but it actually rolled. John Taylor misjudged it, and he ended up picking that thing up on maybe the three or four-yard line, sucked all our guys in, and he ended up taking it almost to the house for trivia. What record did, was set that on that play, the longest punt return in Super Bowl history? I'm not sure if that's been broken. we got to look it up into that one. That was the longest punt return in Super Bowl history as well. It might still stand. That might be the Super Bowl record for only play where two Super Bowl records were broken on one play. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I use that all the time. So good one there. <laughs> it was well, a fun game. That was that game was surreal. It was uh it was just one of those games where you can't believe you're in it. You look around, it's like, wait a second, this isn't right. And it was uh, every time I went out on the field, I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot screw up. So I was pretty <laughs> pleased about uh, the performance I had that game. Now, obviously, end of the game didn't go your way. Did you feel, you know, the defense did a pretty good job of shutting down Joe Montana and the offense. Obviously, Jerry Rice put up over 200 yards, but, you know, they yeah. shut down everyone else on the offense. Did you think maybe, hey, the 49ers have to go 92 yards to win this game in under three minutes? Did you think maybe you were going to get a ring? You know what? I thought for sure we'd get a ring. That's a long ways to go. We did shut them down most of the game, but we couldn't get things going. If you remember, our offense going into that game was a powerhouse. We scored. We had James Brooks. We just could make big plays, and they shut us down. It was the weirdest game, but it was a defensive shootout. And sure enough, you never think, well, let me take that back. Joe Montana, in the last minute, how many times has he done it before? So you're on Rice and Taylor. Anyway, it was. it's just one of those things where you just don't know. You just you, you, With a minute on the clock and 83 yards to go, that's still plenty of time for Joe Montana. Yeah. Now let me ask you one more about the Super Bowl. You're a punter, so basically you have to sit – on the sideline, pretty much the entire game, you're playing only five or six plays. What's that like? I mean, is that nerve rat? Is it, are your nerves building up? Or are you trying to calm yourself? You doing yoga on the sideline? How's that work during Super Bowl? Yeah, it all depends on who you are. I was a nervous player. I think most of these guys that are playing nowadays, they just love it. They, it's almost like they uh, they have no problem having the ball at the end of the game. You know, give me the ball. Let me let me shoot the last three. I was a very nervous player. I kind of look back and think, how did I play 18 years? Because to me, it was never really a natural thing. I was always nervous. Now, sometimes I'd get into a game and things would be clicking and I would just be like, okay, let's go. Let me get out there. But usually when I was going out there, I was like, oh, man, do I have to really do this? So I, I'm always, I was always nervous, John. It was just uh, it was crazy. Now, I will take that back. In, in, the, in the Eagles of my last season, 
where in the NFL with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles playing in the NFC Championship game against the Buccaneers. It was one of the few times. It's funny. I say this in my 18th year, but I'm out there on the field. I'm like, man, I've never felt this comfortable. Why does it have to happen now? I'm 41 years old. This doesn't seem fair. <laughs> so I finally got to feel what it feels like to go out there and almost enjoy being out on the field. Uh, that's hilarious that it took that long. Uh, yeah. I feel bad bringing up the bad losses. So let's talk about one of my favorite Bengals wins of all time. Uh, we talked about the AFC Central being just an ugly rivalry. So in 1989, the Bengals beat the Oilers 61 to 7. Now, it was, this wasn't just a beatdown. This was a game where Sam Weish called for an onside kick uh, when they were, you guys were up 45 to nothing in the second half, kicking onside kicks. Did you kick that kick? And if so, what was going through your mind when, when the call was made? I thought it was a bad call. It was Sam Weiss <laughs> totally digging into Jerry Glanville. And I understood why Sam would do it. He drove, him, he drove Jerry, or uh, he drove Sam crazy. And I, I don't recall, I wish I could recall better. I just remember thinking, this, no, I can't do this. This is not right. It's because you're going to come after me. They're going to take me out for it. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, Jerry set himself up quite often in the league for things like that to happen. But you know what? He could always back it up because he always had great teams and great defenses. Did you hate the other teams as much as it seems like Sam Weish did? Uh, no, I was just a guy happy to be there. I loved I, I just love everyone. That's the truth. I love rivalries, but I never really got so wrapped up in the rivalry. Whereas Sam and, uh, of course, the Brown family with the Browns, the Cleveland Browns and and, uh, you know, that AFC Central, though, it was just, you're right, it was a crazy time. There were so many good rivals. Every game and conference, it was just something to be proved. Probably because everyone's so close, you know. It was just, that, what a great conference. Now, you had the beatdown of the Oilers of 1989, which brings me to another game you guys played against the Oilers, and that was the wild card game in 1990. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Johnson was on the field for the Bengals' last playoff win, 31 Years ago, uh, they obviously have not won a playoff game since because Will Brinson and Ryan Wilson bring that up every other podcast. We all know that. What do you remember about that game? And then how did the Bengals tailspin? And they were just horrible for your final eight years there. <laughs> Don't ask me how I feel or how I remember because I can't remember anything. I could not tell you one thing about that game. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. Maybe ask me what I what I did. I, I don't remember anything. Shelly, do you remember anything about that game? I don't remember anything. My wife is here. She's going to help me. <laughs> but I will comment on the tailspin. I think I think what happened, it was a very weird time, and that was during the time of the salary cap was introduced. And uh, you know what? It was really odd. We had a team that was so powerful and so deep and rich, and, and uh, we kind of just traded everyone away, and we didn't re-sign the guys we had to re-sign. And it was almost like, Mike went through a rebuilding time, and then it just became a series of mishaps. We couldn't find the right quarterback. Boomer took off, and boy, what an awful experience. That whole 90s was just terrible. We, yeah, we just kept losing guys, key players, guys that were so important and critical for the success of you know, the 80s and the mid-80s and the late 80s, and then we just, we just couldn't make it happen. It's, it was really unfortunate. And you were stuck playing on a team that – 
for eight straight losing seasons. They had more losing seasons than that, but you were only on it for eight because you were smart and got out of there. And by the way, because you got stuck during that ugly decade of Bengalsness, uh, Lee, unfortunately, has been a part of the ninth most losses of any player in NFL history. Blame that on the Bengals, Lee. But you did get out in 1998. And I have to say, look, if you're listening right now, you can already tell Lee loves to talk. He loves to speak his mind. And that is how he got out of Cincinnati. Because yeah. after a December game in 1998, you basically told the fans, I wouldn't spend my money on these tickets. You shouldn't either. And the Bengals, uh, what, what happened there? How did you get cut? And the Bengals cut you the next day. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was an awful time in my career. And it was certainly not the kind of man that I am as far as appreciation and gratitude. Looking back, I feel awful about what happened. I think it was one of these deals where you're caught up in the moment. We're playing the Buffalo Bills, and we're it's maybe the game or two before the end of the season, and we're just having an awful season. The whole city's in an uproar. They stage a walkout, and I'm in the, the locker room, and there's no one around. And I'm like, wow, what's going on? All these reporters are coming up to me, and I'm thinking, what is happening here? And they start firing off questions at me. And I start answering in a way that I'm thinking, in my mind, just kind of serious answers. And and obviously, when someone says, if you're a fan, would you go to the game? And I, my answer was, well, it'd be, you know, here's my answer. Well, it'd be really hard to come watch a game when you're playing so poorly. But when Paul Doherty gets a hold of it and he writes it in a paper and you read it, I'm thinking, oh, my crap, I said that? I can't believe I'd say something that awful. Because what I meant to say was kind of like, yeah, it's really awful, really hard. But, you know, it sounds like I really blew up the Bengals, blew up Mike Brown. And and it just came across so terrible. And how it came across in the paper, I totally would retract and feel so badly about. But when I was being asked the question, I thought, you know, I was uh, just being honest and, and uh, just you know doing something you should never do <laughs> to a reporter. Yeah, I mean, it, it did, you know, obviously – I feel like fans empathize with you, though, in the sense they were thinking we have just watched this team struggle for eight years and kind of felt like this is someone who's been on the inside. And they're like, well, it's glad that someone feels the way we feel, you know, even though maybe it didn't come across that way. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a big part of that. And I was definitely frustrated with Mike and uh, the Brown family on how they would would do things and make decisions and make draft choices. And and, you know, one of the things I did say was, you know, what? What I like to do is say, okay, here's a model team that's been very successful. Maybe take some of the things they're doing and maybe try to model that, work it into your your decision making. And I think I even brought that up in the article. But it's just something you don't do as a player. It's just not appropriate, not right. And and therefore, I was uh, kicked out of uh, pulled out of a meeting on Monday morning within five minutes of the start. They perfectly timed it. You know, they thought about it and planned it, and they pulled me out of the meeting. And I probably would have done the same thing if I was Mike and uh, cut me right there. So good for him. He, I probably deserved to be cut after saying that. And this is after 11 seasons in Cincinnati. And to give you an idea of how popular Lee still is in Cincinnati, uh, they ranked the top 50 best Bengals players of all time. And Lee made it on the list. A punter is on the list. Number 42. Uh, so he is still very, very popular with fans and in the city. Um, but you know what? Lee, it seems that getting out of Cincinnati actually worked out for you because then you signed with the Patriots in 1999, uh, which was Pete Carroll's last year. What do you remember of that season? We were very good. I remember coming in and we just couldn't get it rolling. We drew Bledsoe and we had a group of guys that were outstanding. We had the players on the team were uh, the same guys that were part of very successful Patriot teams prior to Mike getting there. But Pete just for some reason couldn't get the ball rolling. 
And uh, I don't, I, you know, Pete, now you look at Pete now and how successful he is. You think, man, what, what, what did he do wrong? And what did we do wrong? Not winning for Pete Carroll because he is an outstanding coach. But anyway, we couldn't get it rolling. And sure enough, Bill comes in and I've known Bill from the days he was at Cleveland. And of course you knew Bill Belichick from the Giants being the coordinator that he was. And, you know, Bill was great. Bill's uh, definitely not a, he's all serious. He's all business. There's no frills kind of guy. And he does it his way. He has his system. And I think the most shocking thing about me was I probably wasn't playing poorly when he cut me, but he just cut me. It was a really weird time in my career. And uh, sure enough, the day I get cut is the day they start their uh, quest for the first Super Bowl of Tom Brady. I'm sure you're going to talk about that. Well, let's let's go to 2000. You just said that, you know they got rid of Pete Carroll. They bring in Bill Belichick. And now you you're a left footed punter. I don't think uh, I, I didn't mention that. So most people probably wouldn't know that. Have you noticed that, you know, after you left, Belichick kept signing left footed punters. And and until they drafted Jake Bailey in 2019, they pretty much only utilized left footed punters. Do you get the credit for that? That he noticed I, different yeah, better, spin coming off your foot? You better believe it. I better. I'll take all the credit for that. <laughs> Uh, you understand why it's obviously a different spin. The ball kind of cuts down a different way. Return men have a little more difficult time with the left-footed punter. And I think Bill, knowing Bill always wants an edge and he felt he had an edge there. So. All right. Now we're going to your magical short-lived 2001 season with the Patriots. We're going to get Tom Brady in this conversation. Uh, you know, his number, we're not going to start there. We're just going to start with, uh, you know, you were probably weren't paying much attention to, a uh, fourth string quarterback going into, uh, I guess his rookie year was 2000. What were your initial thoughts of Tom Brady before he even walked on the field? Was this someone you even noticed? You know, I didn't notice Tom at all, other than he was my uh, locker right next to me. Tom was this uh, kid that came in from Michigan. He was a low draft choice. I didn't really hear anything about him in college. And at the time, we had Bledsoe and uh, John Freeze, maybe a couple of the backup guys. And I would remember Tom initially thinking, oh, man, who's this kid, you know, coming out of Michigan? It was, uh, you know, he was just a, a young guy with long, messy hair and wearing some some khaki pants. I just, in my mind, I think, oh, this this kid out of Michigan, <laughs> what, looking at what he's done now and looking at what I knew about Tom then, it's just, it's amazing that you don't ever look at someone and make a determination on what kind of player he's going to become because he didn't necessarily look like this guy who's going to become the greatest quarterback, the greatest player of all time. Now, the famous story between you and Brady, and Brady actually brought this up at a press conference in 2018, and is that you're the reason Tom Brady wears number 12. There'd be no TV 12 if Lee Johnson didn't exist because coming out of college, Tom Brady was number 10 in college. He wanted to be number 10 in the NFL, but he couldn't have the number because Lee Johnson had number 10. Uh, so let me ask you, Lee, did you know that Tom Brady wanted 10? And because he's a rookie, you know, he doesn't have any say over uh, a veteran. Did he ever reach out to you or is it just something he probably accepted because you had been in the NFL for so long? You know, it's, I don't I don't recall him ever talking to me or reaching out to me. And had he reached out to me, I would have given him that number in a heartbeat because I'm <laughs> about numbers. I will say this, that once he tweeted that out, it was as if I never played football. I was a, a bigger celebrity from that tweet. <laughs> 18-year player. So Tom hooked me up. But uh, uh, he never <laughs> talked to me about it. But I can remember, um, no, I was there so short of a time with Tom that no, it never was brought up. And, you know, I think he was just happy to be there. Did you Have you sent him an invoice for any uh, TV12 royalties? <laughs> 
I've been wanting to get his number so I can thank him for the tweet. <laughs> but no, not yet. But I'm sure he gets up because he's such a good guy. Now, you were there the first time he steps on the field, obviously, is that Jets game in 2001. Bledsoe gets injured. You're the Patriots punter in that game. What was the feeling, you know, on the sideline when Bledsoe goes down and you have to throw this guy in who's never really played a game before? I was completely shocked. I, I know we didn't have at the time a really solid experience backup. And I just remember watching Tom in practice and I'm thinking, well, this guy, okay, maybe at some point in his career, maybe Bill saw something at him as a player. Cause I was never in practice thinking this guy was ever going to be the heir apparent for the new England Patriots ever. Um, I remember a couple of times in practice and him making some throws. I'm thinking, Oh man, what was that? Who is this kid? <laughs> so when they put Tom in, it, it's a real tribute to Bill. And uh, it was a guy at the time, Charlie Weiss, was the offensive coordinator who had seen something about Tom that they really liked and they went with him. And I just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, we're in trouble. <laughs> but then so you guys ended up losing that game uh, to the jets where Brady came in after Bledsoe got hurt. Then you were there for his first touchdown pass, his first career touchdown pass, his first career win. Uh, you saw all that in 2001. What were those early games like where it maybe seemed like things were clicking with him because you know you're saying he wasn't very great in practice all of a sudden you're winning a couple games with him uh what were those those early games brady games like you just saw a guy who when he got on the field he just became the master general and it was so impressive to watch him from when i saw him in practice and the things he did early on when he was running third and fourth team as opposed to what he did on the field and it was um i almost deserved to be hit in the mouth for thinking the way I thought because this guy was able to go out there and do things that I don't see. I had not seen many guys do at that age in the NFL. And it was uh, a beautiful sight to watch him go in there and perform the way he performed. And I was just so bummed out that I was there such a short time to watch this guy do his thing because he would have been my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> No, he was just magical. The guys don't ever judge a book by its cover. That's what they, that's what I learned. The lesson I learned is you can't judge the guy's heart and his mind and his abilities and just, uh, wow, powerful. Now, you mentioned you weren't there very long. Uh, you, you said Belichick let you go. And it was actually after you guys played the Chargers. I think that was the game where Tom Brady threw his first career touchdown pass. You won in overtime. And so looking back at the stats, Lee, you were having a pretty good season, but I guess in that Chargers game, uh, you fumbled a snap or something. I don't know the exact details, and maybe that played a, a role in Belichick's decision. Were you surprised when they let you go? I was so surprised they let me go. And I think what happened was we're playing the Buffalo Bills the season before in a very big game that's going into overtime, and I fumbled the snap in a blizzard on a, on a field goal. And we end up, but uh, we won the game in overtime and I held the, the hold for that one. But I think that was in his mind fresh. We roll into the next season against San Diego and the ball goes through my hands and I still catch it. But there's a guy coming off the edge that was going to block the punch. So I pull the ball down and I get spun around and I fumble. And I just think that it was one of these things where Bill just um, because in that game, I, I ended the, the game with a 55-yard punt. I had a very good game on my numbers side of things. But I think just the fact that maybe it is as fresh in his mind, fumbling, or whatever it was, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll ask Bill if I run into him. But my <laughs> performance 
was not a reason to be released. It had to be something Bill just saw. And, uh, of course, they went with the guy, the lefty from, I forget his name, but he ended up having a terrific season and even a better Super Bowl against the Rams. So it all worked out for him. Well, that's funny you should mention that Super Bowl because you didn't get to stick around for it. So I have to ask you, did they send you a ring? <laughs> they didn't. I was eligible for a ring if they wanted to send it, but they didn't send it to me. I was bummed out. I needed that thing. That'd have been sweet. But <laughs> I didn't play. I was only there five games, so I definitely qualified. But uh, uh, Patriots, crap. I hope someone in the Patriots organization is listening. This guy has the ninth most losses in Super Bowl history. Get him a Super Bowl ring. He's eligible. <laughs> Have a ceremony. Have Brady go, and, and they can switch numbers. Make something happen. Get this man a ring. <laughs> Had I been there a little bit longer, maybe they would have done it. But since I was only there two and a half years, I don't think I've really made a name for myself. And then, of course, you know, you're know you done with the Patriots, and then you get achingly close to another Super Bowl in your final season in 2002. You're playing for Andy Reid. You, you know, you're just playing with a string of coaches. You go from Pete Carroll – uh, to Belichick, uh, that you played for Denny Green for a couple games in in 2001, and then yeah. to Andy Reid, and you get to uh, the NFC title game with Andy Reid and the Eagles. What was that final season like? It was wonderful. You know, I played ball with Andy Reid at BYU. You didn't bring that up. Oh, well, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I played with Andy. He was a senior when I was a sophomore, so we had become good friends. So I think he felt. At the time, I called him in. I, I called Andy. Said, "Andy, you got to bring me in. I think I can help." So he brought me in with two other guys. So I, he wasn't giving me anything. I was kind of bummed that he did, didn't just hand me the job. So he made me compete with two other guys. I won the won the tryout. He signed me that next day, and uh, I actually played really well for Andy. Uh, yeah, I had a really nice uh, three or four games, I believe it was, hoping that I would be re-signed for the following year. And they didn't re-sign me for the following year. They did bring me in the following year for the last preseason game had a great game but they wanted to go with a, a second year guy Dirk Johnson of all guys who Andy had commented to me that he would probably bring me back if Dirk struggled and Dirk ended up having a, a, a fairly good year I think I probably would have brought myself back but anyway they didn't bring me back so that started my uh, my retirement I was trying to get on that that year I thought for sure I'd get on because I played so well for the Eagles in that playoff run and no one, uh, I guess no one wants a 41 year old guy. Maybe that was a problem there. Yeah. No one plays in their forties anymore, except for Tom Brady, who is now the oldest player of the NFL. And you are his oldest ex teammate and you are going to be 60 in November, right? That's right. You got to remind me. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. Tom Brady. Who who would think of something like that? I can't believe we're on this interview because of that. That's so cool. (laughs) All right, man. Well, happy early birthday. I hope you enjoy the rest of the trip in Greece, even though you'll probably be home. Uh, who knows how long your trip lasts? Maybe you'll end up living there forever in retirement. Uh, but thanks for coming on, Lee. Thank you so much, John. What a wonderful interview. Thank you for thinking of me, you guys. Y'all take care. Uh, we will be back Tuesday. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you guys this weekend.